and welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. It's so lovely to be here with you on Call-In. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation today because I have two experts on, uh, Jess Moss and Kaylee Conforti. They are both the authors of Fromer's Easy Guide to Washington, D.C., which just hit the bookstore shelves and Amazon. Uh, so welcome, Jess and Kaylee. Thank you. Hi, Excited thank you. Here. Well, it's great to have you guys there. And I got to ask, it's springtime now. Are the are the cherry blossoms out? Oh, yes, they- definitely. <laughs> I think the official peak happened last week, but um, my family and I went down a week the weekend earlier, and it was just beautiful, like walking all around the Tidal Basin and National Mall. It's just popping. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful out there. Well, to me, it's an it's interesting story how the cherry blossoms got to Washington, D.C. They were a gift from Japan a long time ago, right? That's right. Yes. Um, and it's really, it's really special. You, um, as Kaylee said, you can you know, see them all around the Tidal Basin and the National Mall, but there, there are other places around the city too. Um, I actually really love going to the National Arboretum um, mm. because you can see cherry blossoms there, but there are a whole other sort of collection of trees that flower this time of year. And it's really special. And is it, is it, uh, I, you know, I've never been to the National Arboretum. I'm a little embarrassed to say, is it supposed to be representative trees from all 50 states or what, what's the plan behind it? You know, there is a grove of trees from all 50 states, but by my recollection, there are not 50 trees. I think some states trees overlap. um, And I, I think that there's just kind of a, a cross section of, of flowering plants of trees. I'm not sure what the significance is to the states um, overall, but it's mm. just it's this kind of sprawling, sprawling place where you can walk. There actually, there's a really cool site there that um, there are some old columns that used to be at the U.S. Capitol that have been rearranged um, in sort of this this monumental sort of uh, setup. So you can go and take pictures there and. And yeah, this time of year, it's it gets crowded, but it's it's a nice change from the mall and the tidal basin, where uh, sometimes it gets a little insane. Right. Yeah. No. That that's that's a good tip. So that's the beautiful side of Washington D.C. But we got to talk about the more troubled side of the city. I think that probably of all the books we updated this year, post. pandemic lockdowns. I can't say post-pandemic because it's still going on, but we had to redo every single one of our books because so much in the world changed. And I think Washington, D.C. changed more than most any other destination, not because of the pandemic so much, or maybe a little bit because of the pandemic, but really because of the terrible events of January 6th. Just tell our, our listeners about about what happened. Uh, not what happened on January 6th, but what <laughs> happened to the tourist experience of Washington, yes. D.C. after January 6th. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, D.C. being um, a very government-focused city, of course, I will note that there's a lot that happens here that doesn't revolve around the government. Um, a lot of people live here and work here in jobs and lives that that are not tied to the federal government. But of course, it is a major player in the city. Um, And so after January 6th, the security measures that were put in place um, just were 
greatly increased, especially around buildings like the Capitol and the White House. So those buildings had been closed um, along with a number of other government uh, buildings for COVID and and, uh, health precautions. But sure, the uh, yeah, the, the increased security threat made made shutdowns uh, more prolonged for them. So that just changed, right? Uh, it yeah. used to be that you could not go to the Capitol at all. And and that's, and it just broke my heart because that's one of the most fascinating tours, I think, in Washington, D.C., not only because you get to see what you see on TV and uh, in person. And I I love, you know, you can go up to the visitor's gallery and actually hear one lone senator usually arguing to to the TV cameras because their colleagues are who knows where else. Uh, but, But you also hear about the history and the drama that has taken place there. So it was heartbreaking that it's been closed for this long. But that's changing, right? Yes, that is changing. So tours are coming back. Um, They've been on hold um, for about two years now. They are going to come back uh, to begin with on a limited basis. So um, I believe uh, it's going to be small group tours that will be led by members of Congress or their staff. Um, So you have to register in advance. With your congressperson. Mm-hmm, I believe so. Um, and then there also will be tours for school groups. So it still is not, you know, a full, I, I don't know that the visitor center will be fully reopened to start, but mm. it's really exciting news that, you know, we're getting back towards that, having that yeah. open to the public. It's going to be interesting to see what are they going to do about international visitors who don't have a congressperson? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. It could be that um, I, I'm not sure the the details. I think, honestly, they just announced this a couple weeks right. ago. So I think things are still being worked out. But it may be that there are avenues um, and you just need to, to come with a member of Congress. I'm not sure that it has to be your member of Congress. Um, huh. But I, I'm not sure about that. And what about the White House? That's still closed to tours, right? It is currently closed to tours, but I believe beginning in mid-April, um, they are also reopening and welcome, welcoming tours back. And that is also something that you must reserve through your member of Congress, which has always been the case. And I believe tours right now will just be on Fridays and Saturdays, but that will be coming back in April. Well, that's exciting. That is exciting. Yes. And with that coming back... I'm assuming, and with business travel coming back, it's going to start getting harder to get a hotel room in Washington, D.C. So, Kaylee, I know you covered hotels. Uh, Did any new ones open after the pandemic? And what are prices like? And and what's the general advice on lodging? Yeah, it's been really exciting, actually, to see just how resilient the city really is with all the January 6th stuff and the pandemic and hotels that still continue to open. A lot of them also reopened as something new during the pandemic. Hmm. So that's been really interesting to see like brands changing titles and just overall getting better and better. In 2020, Liaison Capitol Hill reopened as Yotel, Washington, D.C. Huh. Well, Yotels, those are almost capsule rooms, right? So did they put in more rooms and make them smaller or no? 
Um, it's it's a little different. They've got like they're still very compact, but they uh-huh. focus more on the theme and the design, and it's kind of aviation themed, so it makes it really fun. Like they call them first class and premium cabins instead of rooms, and like huh. the lobby kind of looks like an airport lounge. Um, they also have a really cool rooftop bar and pool deck. So deck eleven is really neat if you get to stay there, check it out. And they have um, just a lot going on on the roof, and it's. Relatively budget friendly. Rooms start at one nineteen, but that's depending, not bad. On, depending yeah. on when it can go up a little, but that's how everything kind of works now. Um, I used to love when I would go to DC, staying in, you know, like Calorama or Dupont Circle in mm-hmm. these in these inns that clearly were mansions in another life and that were now devoted to tourism. But they they gave you such a real feeling of the life of the city. Did most of those inns uh, survive the pandemic? Um, a lot of them did, and some actually just recreated themselves and used the time off to renovate, or hmm. if things slowed down, they kind of upgraded things they were meaning to. Um, Colorama Guesthouse just got new owners last year, and that's one in Woodley Park. Um, so if you're looking at the National Zoo and Rock Creek Park up in that neighborhood. Right. Yeah, they renovated, and it's now kind of a Japanese-style um, oh. look with uh, European guest house stuff going wow. on. Wow. So, kind of <laughs> That's unusual. Overall, Interesting. Despite the pandemic, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I wonder why they went Japanese. Well, that's good for them. I was, I was in Washington about a month ago for the Washington Travel and Adventure Show. Oh, yeah. And whenever I'm in D.C., what I do is I'm usually working during the day, but that means I can run to the National Portrait Gallery because it stays open later than the other Smithsonian museums. Uh, and it's one of my favorites. I, I just I find it fascinating. It's beautiful. And to see the faces behind the names. And I went to the Hall of Presidents which just got updated because they had to add the last guy. (laughs) And uh, it was fascinating to see how carefully the curators have to tread to tell the stories of the different presidents, including the last guy. I kind of left it feeling like none of them were that successful with a couple of strong (laughs) exceptions, like Teddy Roosevelt really made a difference, so did FDR, uh, so did um, Johnson. I mean, these were presidents who, who really presided over a social change. Uh, but a lot of them just got in over their heads. And it was so interesting to see that there was not a painting for Trump. It was just a photo. Uh, I'm assuming he didn't have the patience to sit for a painting, or do, do you either of you know uh, the story behind that and and how they put together that gallery? It must be such a difficult gallery to be a curator for, I would think. I think so as well. I I would have to double check this, but I think that each president may have a say in the uh, artistic expression of their, you know, of representation. How exactly? So I think that at least in the past couple of presidencies, I think that there has been some direction given by the president themselves um, as to whom and how you know they'll be portrayed. Right. Um, but I, I would could be wrong there. Interesting. And on the other side uh, of that museum, also staying open late, 
is the American Art Museum, although I believe part of it was closed for renovations, and I think that's kind of the story we have to tell, sadly. Today, a lot of things are, are closed right now or will be closed in the coming months, right? Uh, that's true, but the, actually very recently there's been some exciting news for the Smithsonian, which is um, most of the museums will be returning to a seven-day-a-week schedule. Oh, um, wow. I believe Great. that's basically rolling out uh, through May. And so by the end of May, with a couple of exceptions, including one major one uh, that will be closed for, for some time, most of the Smithsonian museums will be back open seven days a week. Well, um, t- let's tell, I guess I was alluding to the major one. Yeah. What is the major one that's going to be closing? The major Go ahead. one is the Air and Space Museum. Um, they are undergoing a massive renovation and sort of reimagining of their galleries, their exhibits. So it's a multi-year renovation. And so the museum um, is going to be closed, uh, I believe, starting a couple days ago and reopening part of uh, the museum in the fall with new exhibits. Huh. Do you know the direction of the new exhibits? I mean, how are they changing it? It was such a brilliant museum, I thought, already. You know, they're they're just reimagining the galleries. They're doing some swaps of artifacts, so pulling in some artifacts that um, typically have been on display at uh, their sister location, the Udvar Hazy Center, which is out in Virginia. Right. Showcasing some new artifacts, reopening the planetarium. Um, so I think it's just sort of transforming everything and and how they're showcasing the exhibits. Interesting. Interesting. I've been uh, working on the update of Fromer's New York City, and it's so fascinating to see how restaurant trends change. 20 years ago, all of the hot new restaurants would have all been French or Italian pretty much French or Italian. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Middle Eastern food has become really, really hot. And and it's it's kind of changed my understanding of what Middle Eastern food can consist of. I had always thought it was kind of, you know, kebabs and spreads. And that still is the basis of it. But the opulence and the taste ranges of what these new places in New York City are offering has been astounding. We've also seen a lot of new Asian restaurants. Uh, For example, Chinese places that only represent one small region that usually you didn't, you know, not just Mandarin or Cantonese, uh, but Fujian uh, Chinese restaurants and uh, very interesting restaurants from specific regions of Thailand. What, do you, what are we seeing in Washington, D.C.? What's the restaurant scene there like? Well, to piggyback off something that uh, Kaylee said, I think resilience is the name of the game here. It's been really impressive to see how D.C. restaurants have just weathered the pandemic, extended restrictions on dining, extended mask mandates, which have been Mm. dropped now. Um, But just, you know, it's been two years of challenges, not to mention staffing shortages and people working from home sort of changes the whole landscape in a number of neighborhoods. Um, That said, you know, everything you just described in New York, D.C. is really special because it's such an international city that it's had a very strong international scene forever. And so that that's something that continues. And there are there are 
you know, old standbys as well as some really great new places really opening, you know, every month here that, that highlight different cuisines and often bring them together, which is really exciting. I think one of the interesting new trends that I've been seeing here is I feel like the city's having kind of a, a food hall moment. Um, mm. We've been really embracing outdoor dining, of course, and that's something that doesn't seem to be going away. It looks like the city council is making moves to extend, you know, restaurants' ability to serve um, outside and to expand into the street with their outdoor dining. But more and more food halls seem to be opening as well. And, you know, we have the the historic Eastern Market, which is like the original, yes. you know, food hall and market in D.C. We have Union Market which is newer, but at this point, really well established. Um, but in the past year or so, and even upcoming, there are a lot of new food halls that seem to be opening. There's one in Capitol Hill called The Roost. There's one called The Block that's in downtown DC that actually is, is focusing on Asian food. Hmm. Um, there's one called Market 7, which I believe, I'm not sure if it's open yet, but it's going to be focusing on Black-owned businesses. There's, wow. There's one in Foggy Bottom. There's uh, This is not new, but La Cosecha is, is near Union Market. It's a fantastic Latin American market. So there's just, there's really kind of this this great, these places that bring together a lot of different smaller outposts into really fun places to browse and eat. So I think that's something that, that I've seen in the past you know year or so it seems to be continuing um, that I'm really excited to check out these new places. Yeah, no, I love food halls. I think they're so much fun because it, it's it's a great way not to have to choose what to have for dinner. If you're <laughs> exactly. dining with a group, yeah. you all can yeah. meet, you all can have different things and then you sit together and usually they're very pleasant looking. Yeah, no, that's a great thing. So Kaylee, I know that a lot of people who go to D.C., don't just go to D.C. They also want to see what's in the area. What do you think are some of the best uh, day trips from D.C.? Um, there are a lot. <laughs> but um, <laughs> honestly, the only uh, the two that are easiest to reach are just Old Town Alexandria is right across the water. Mount Vernon's a little bit further out from there, but still easy to get to. Both are just just drenched in history and you know, if you're a Hamilton fan, you have to go to Mount Vernon. It's just like, you know, you're reading about all the characters and, but they're real people. So you get to see where everyone was and like, um, have they reworked your, Mount Vernon at all to, to raise uh, Hamilton's profile? Cause I don't remember much talk <laughs> of Hamilton when I went to Mount Vernon. I mean, I was kind of geeking out with some of the people that worked there at one point, but <laughs> um, the website has like a Hamilton's tour of Mount Vernon that you can look huh. at and see different things. And they are doing a really good job of, just telling more of the story, though, um, they include mm. a lot of facts about, like, by the way, there were slaves here. It was a plantation. Like, here's right. what it was like. Here are the slave quarters. There's a cabin you can go see, which was really moving um, just to see in real life. A really moving memorial there. Huh. And you, they're still unmasking some graves, too, like in doing research. Wow. It's really interesting stuff. So if somebody who hasn't been to Mount Vernon in a while should probably go back. It sounds like a very different experience. Yeah. And they still have the same, like the blacksmith shop and things like that that you come to expect. And you sure. can his old home and see where like him and Martha used to hang out. And, <laughs> and for great. those who don't know Alexandria, what, what, what is the history there and what makes it so appealing? It's, it's hard to concentrate on one thing. They have so much history and there are new tours that are actually telling 
just more experiences and now they're you can hear more stories the manumission tour company tells about the black experience and what that's been like all through like the beginning of the 1700s till now hmm. and um alexandria colonial tours always has walking tours and they have a really fun ghost tour at night if you're not like afraid of that kind of stuff it's, it's another <laughs> chance to get more history and stories out of place yeah absolutely oh yeah it sounds great so for both of you Last time I was in D.C., and, you know, really, it's amazing when you go there, even if you have just a couple of hours to walk around, as I did, it's such a rich and varied city. I was walking by the White House, and sadly, in front was a whole group of people who I think are camped there to protest what's happening in Ukraine. How, how how much of of how many protests are we seeing right now? Is it less than during the Trump years? Uh, is, is it any different uh, with Biden in the White House? What are you seeing? I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you because to me that's it's not a tourist thing, but it is a very interesting thing to see and do when you're in Washington D.C. See what's on the country's minds by going out and seeing what the protests are. Yeah, I mean, I think that honestly, that's one of the great things about DC is that it really is a place that celebrates, you know, the freedom of speech, and you do have the ability and people, people do, you know, come out and voice their opinions about a variety of causes. Of course, that's when it's encouraged here when the protests are peaceful. Um, Yes, yeah, of course. But but it is something that, you know, is, is a really big part of the city. And I think living here, you know, there's uh, there are times where your traffic is disrupted by a protest. Um, hmm. I know the, the recent protests uh, that involve traffic. Uh, I think oh, yeah. The truckers. How yeah, was that no. living through that? <laughs> it seemed I, to I, fizzle I, from the outside. Is that how you yeah, felt about it? D.C. traffic is notorious was, as it yeah. is. So I think that um, from from. What I heard, um, I didn't personally experience anything, and it seems like things just sort of blended into the the standard operating of a day sitting in traffic. <laughs> what did you that. see, Kaylee? It was it was kind of a running joke, like, oh, are they still here? Like, you can't tell anyway. <laughs> like, the traffic's always <laughs> terrible. Um, and like, I work from home, and I pretty much I live in Shaw, so I can walk everywhere or just hop on the metro. So like, I wasn't really affected, but my sister's coworkers in Virginia tried to get home, and they had like two hours of delays because at one point the um, DC police kind of blocked entrance to the city in case the truckers wanted to come in. So mm. like they had to take the long way home and they were all upset, but that was one day. It was really right. kind of bizarre. <laughs> this whole thing, honestly. <laughs> well, I got to say it actually held up the, the trucker protest on the border of Canada disrupted the printing of our guides because we had paper on some of those trucks and so uh, we were delayed again because of the darn truckers (laughs) but anyway who had uh, that on their bingo card right like (laughs) i know i i was chuckling because gas is at like an all-time high at least here so it seemed like a really pricey way to uh yeah your displeasure towards at least again (laughs) here uh, restrictions that have largely been lifted anyway Right. Um, Very strange. So, yeah. Uh, so, Kaylee, you covered nightlife for us. You had to be a partier. Uh, <laughs> has DC's nightlife fully recovered? And what's it like nowadays? 
Um, well, like everything, it's probably in the still recovering phase. Um, mm. just, it's definitely bounced back from what it was. Now, theater is back. That was kind of a gone for a little oh, while that's because good. of all the restrictions and like the cast themselves were getting sick. So the shows were going like away. Right. Yeah. It was the whole thing. Um, but theater is now back. Um, everything's kind of springing back to how it was. Um, a lot of new things also popped up. There's a new... It's called Swingers. It's a crazy golf, mini golf experience for adults. And that's been really <laughs> fun. Um, just adulting is hard, right? So Yeah. Add some nice cocktails, gourmet street food, mini golf. Like, I'm in. <laughs> and um, Art Tech House has been doing some really cool things. Kind of like immersive art shows and technology. And they have that one go right on now. at night. Yeah. And they have a bar. So it's really oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Um, I, where is that? I've never on. heard about that one kind of near Capitol Riverfront area hmm. and um, they're doing one now called Pixel Bloom which is like just for the cherry blossoms season through June 5th so that's been really cool like walk among the flowers and they wow it's like they're coming at you and you just kind of chill out and have a drink and watch them the art show go by for a few minutes right very cool very interesting so before we leave this I want to give some advice for the newbies to Washington, D.C., when people are planning a vacation there, how do they plan their time? Should they divide the city in con quadrants or go by themes? What city tours do you really recommend? What's, what's the basic way that people should start wrapping their heads around a Washington, D.C. vacation? Either one of you wants to answer that. Um, I'll go first, but Kaylee, I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts too. Um, I, I mean, I think that you have to start with the National Mall. It's the heart of the city. It is where so much uh, of the major attractions are. It's where you'll find the monuments. It's where you can see the White House. It's the Capitol anchors one end of it, and it's lined by uh, many of the major Smithsonian museums. So you can spend as much time as you have on the mall. But I think that that basing yourself if you can near there or at least anchoring hmm. some of your time there but then I think you also really should uh, read up a little on some of the neighborhoods and I'll put a plug in for our book we have some really nice walks <laughs> uh, neighborhood walks there through places like DuPont Circle and Georgetown um, the neighborhoods are just really full of more local charm uh, and also just some hyper local sites uh, I think one of my favorite DC sites that I love to to point people towards is it's called the Barbie Pond. And it's just the front yard of someone's house where every couple of weeks they'll uh, they'll switch out this display of Barbies and it's always either, you know, politically <laughs> relevant or seasonally relevant or, you know, highlighting a must see movie or TV show and it's it's really special. So I think getting off the mall and, and into the neighborhoods you'll see some of that but true DC character that the locals are, are kind of embracing with their lives. Well, one of my favorite off the mall places is DuPont Circle because that's where all the embassies are. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to walk among them and see what they have out for display. And a lot of them open their doors to the public because they see it's a, it, it as a way to get out the word about their countries. Uh, so when you say, you know, local flavor, local flavor could be the flavor of France and the flavor totally. of Ireland and uh, Somalia and, and places all over the world Absolutely. in D.C. Yeah. Kaylee, so what's your advice? How do you tell people that they should tour? Yeah, I would just say, remember, like, 
don't go too crazy because you're probably not going to be able to see everything you want to see. But focus on what you're interested in and kind of use that to steer where you're going to go. Also, don't forget about the outdoor stuff. We have Rock Creek Park. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole city. Um, I used to live in Mount Pleasant for a little while, so it's just a really great place to go for a walk during the pandemic. Um, mm, yeah. And then I'll the Smithsonian Zoo is up there, too. So, like, don't forget about that stuff north of them all. Oh, that's yeah. funny because I always think of the zoo, zoos as being a place for kids, but you, you enjoy it as an adult. Yeah, it was just something different. Um, and they, they, not so much during the pandemic, but they sometimes have events like zoo lights and things that light up at night around Christmas time or Halloween or they kind of had to change that, but I'm hoping it comes back. And also when there's a snow day here, everyone goes nuts for videos of the panda playing yes. in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I will note though, just uh, with the lingering restrictions or, or uh, impact of the pandemic, some places still are doing um, timed yes. entry, which usually or mm. previously you could just walk in now. And, and I believe the zoo, zoo is one of those. You used to be able to just pop in and now yeah. you need a ticket. Um, and so I think from a planning perspective, it now takes a little bit more uh, planning just to coordinate uh, if you do want to combine a couple of museums that still are requiring entry passes to just make your plans in advance versus winging it when you're here. I know that uh, pre-pandemic, you were all, uh, it was always the advice in our guidebooks to not bring too much stuff with you uh, because there was serious security at many mm -hmm. places. Has that shifted at all? I think it's probably the same. Um, you know, many of the museums and whatnot, you do have to have your bag searched, uh, right. through metal detectors mm -hmm. and whatnot. So yeah, I mean the, the less stuff you're toting around and to Kaylee's point, you can, you can overdo it, especially if you're here in the summer, it does get very hot. Um, yeah. so, yeah. you know, the, the lighter you're traveling, the better in general. And do you have a favorite tour, a walking tour or a hop on, hop off bus? Is there one that you think does a particularly good job? So I'm partial to being on the water. Um, and there mm. are a number of boat tours in D.C. I think it really depends what you're looking for. There are historic tours. There are boozy tours. There's one that's like basically a paddle pub where you're on a pedaling <laughs> on a paddle boat with friends and, and drinks. Wow, that um, sounds fun. Yeah, there's one that's like a pirate ship. But I think, and, and even honestly, the water taxi is a great, less expensive way to still get out on the water and, and see the, uh, parts of the city. So I think that whatever your interest is, um, looking at tours that get out on the on the river, it's just a, a different way of seeing, you know, the, the monuments and uh, the riverfront and everything. I've never done that. And now I want to, that's a great <laughs> idea. Well, to Kaylee and Jess, thank you so, so much. Uh, for anybody tuning in late, uh, uh, Kaylee Conforti and Jess Moss are the authors of the just released Fromer's easy guide to Washington, DC, uh, that they toiled over mightily because a lot had changed. Uh, but, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a must have book if you're traveling to DC, just because as, as Jess was saying, a lot has changed. You have to have advanced reservations. There's a lot more complexity than there used to be in, in planning a capital vacation. Uh, so thank you so much, Kaylee and Jess. Thank you. Thank Come you for having us. It's, it's the best city.
Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And, and thanks to everybody for listening. As I always say to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Watching cable